Patek Philippe watches. They are the most expensive in the world. They range in price from $5,000 to $500,000. It's the finest in Swiss watchmaking. Uh, it's the most lavish of watches that you can possibly purchase. In fact, did you know that there is a store in Houston that sells these watches? And so if you're making a list of things to get for, you know, I don't know, your, your pastor, your, your favorite church worker in the world, uh, just, just take note of this. I, I don't need a $500,000 watch. I'd be perfectly fine with like a $20,000 watch. Now, they're famous for how luxurious their watches are. But one of the things that, that brought them some notoriety was, was their advertising slogan that they unveiled a handful of years ago uh, that really took hold. It, it goes like this. It says, you never really own Patek Philippe. You take care of it for the next generation. This helped lift their sales, and it also helped justify such a lavish expense on a piece of jewelry. After all, it's not for me, it's for the next generation. Now, whether they know it or not, in adopting this slogan, they've actually stumbled upon a biblical idea. The biblical idea of, of stewardship. Now, the biblical idea of stewardship is, is based on this notion that, that no one owns anything, let alone a lavish watch because it is God who creates, gives, and actually owns all things. We only have it for a moment and then pass it on to the next generation. Psalm 24, verse 1 puts it like this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and those who dwell therein. No one owns a thing. We are but temporarily entrusted with the things of God until they leave our hands and go to somebody else's. And the question that people of faith are to wrestle with is this. If, if God owns everything and it's only temporarily entrusted to me, how might I utilize it while it's in my grip, while it's in my hands, in a way that brings the most honor and praise and most satisfaction to the one who actually can lay claim to it, to the one who actually owns it? How do I use it while I have it according to his will? That's the question of stewardship. And I think the easiest way to answer that question of what it means to utilize what you hold of God's for a moment until it's given to somebody else, the easiest way to answer that question is this. God wants his people to jump at every possible chance to be generous. God wants his people to be givers. God wants his people to take every opportunity they can to be generous. When you look at the whole of Scripture, you could... You could summarize all of its talk on the, the various ways and reasons we should give in, in three words. There are gifts you should give, gifts you could give, and gifts you would give. There's should giving, could giving, and would giving. The, the should gifts are the gifts that you should give because they're commanded by God. So if you're here as a follower of Jesus, God says, take the first and the best of what I give to your house and give it right back to my house for the expansion of my kingdom and as an act of worship to me. We should do that. It's commanded. But then there's also gifts you could give. This would be an over and above gift beyond what you should give. These are gifts that you have to plan for, however, because in order to give a could gift, it comes out of what you typically live on. And this allows you to take part in, in some project that comes out of nowhere or to respond to somebody's need as it emerges. You make a plan, you sacrifice, 
and then you give. That's a gift you could give if you plan for it. And then there's gifts that you would give if God blesses you in ways that are unexpected. When God gives you a gift you weren't expecting, you bless somebody else in return. It's a, it's a more aspirational gift. It's a gift that you give prayerfully where you say, Lord, if you were to ever give me this, I promise, I wish, I hope that I would do that. That's a would gift. And God's desire is that his people would be faithful in all kinds of giving. That's what it means to be a good steward, that you would give the gifts you should, the gifts you could, and the gifts you would when God blesses you with the opportunity. Now, with the time that I've got left, I want to just give you five reasons why you should seek to live the most generous life possible while you can. Because I know that me just telling you that there are gifts you should give and could give and would give isn't enough. It's not nearly compelling enough. It's not enough for me to say, God says so, so do it. So instead, let me give you five reasons why you should live the most generous life possible if you're a follower of Jesus. First reason is this. Generosity breaks the power of possessions. Generosity breaks the power that stuff has over your soul. I've got good news for you and I've got bad news for you. The good news for you is that you are rich. You're rich. You might not feel rich, but you're rich. Here's how I know that you're rich. You've got rich guy problems. Here's rich guy problems. You have an Amazon package that arrives after three days rather than two. Rich guy problem. You've got an old iPhone. Rich guy problem. You've got poor Wi-Fi. Your Netflix buffers. Rich guy problem. You get upset when your AirPods disconnect from your phone while you're working out and it ruins your calorie burn. That's a rich guy problem. Almost half the world lives on less than $2 a day. Did you know that? Billions of people, $2 a day, what they live on. You are rich. You're not Jeff Bezos rich. But who is other than Jeff Bezos? That's the, that's the good news. The bad news is, you're rich. And wealth has a way of, of numbing us to the things of God. We take the gifts of God that we've been entrusted and we make them kind of like our God in his place and we think that they are actually the source of our hope and our peace and our security. And then this gift of God that's become our God actually creates this, this distance from us with God. Which is why Jesus says things like this in Matthew chapter 19. He says, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. The bad news is you're rich, and your wealth warps your relationship with God. It just does. So how does God break the power that possessions have over us? He calls us to give. He calls us to like release our death grip on things and let them fall out of our hands or be tossed to somebody else. And the way he breaks the power of possessions is having us give them away. The words I just read of Jesus, they come after an encounter that he has with someone called the rich young ruler who came to Jesus saying, how do I experience heaven? How do I experience the things of God? And Jesus, knowing all the things, because Jesus knows all the things, he knew that this guy's life was wrapped all around his things. And so Jesus looked at him and said, how about you give away all that you have? And did the rich young ruler do it? No. Would you? 
That's a question to wrestle with. Generosity breaks the power of possessions, forces our hands open. Second reason why you should be as generous as you possibly can is because generosity anchors your heart in heaven. Generosity anchors your heart in the things of God. When you give towards the things of God, more of your heart is rooted in the hope and the peace and the promises and also the future kingdom that God promises to us. Now, maybe you haven't figured this out yet. If not, let me clue you in. There is another world coming. There's another world coming. It's a world where all the petty games we play with possessions and all the obsession we have with them, all that stuff's going to fall away. And it's a world where the things of God that we only experience in like glimpses and glimmers right now will be the air we breathe then. Things like mercy, peace, joy, hope, love, the things of God, faith in him, that will be the air that we breathe and everything else will fall away. That world is coming. This world is fading. And so what Jesus says is, look, you'd be wise to invest yourself in the world to come because you're going to spend a lot more time there than you ever spend here. Invest there. Again, this is why he says in Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 20, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus is saying, invest in the world to come. Now, we're going to come back to those words in just a minute, but here's the point right now. You're going to live a lot longer in that world. Jesus says, be wise, invest in it. What comes to mind to me is this. Uh, imagine you see a guy who is engaged to be married. He's going to be married in three months. But for now, he's still living on his own in his own bachelor apartment. But he's engaged, going to be married. And you see him out and about, and he's buying stuff for his bachelor pad. He's out and about, and he's buying a pool table, and he's buying like some neon bar signs to hang above it. If you saw him doing that, knowing he was engaged, knowing he was going to be married in three months, moving out of his bachelor pad, you'd look at him and shake your head and be like, man, that world is passing away, brother. You would be wise to invest in the world to come. And the married world is very different than the single world. There are no pool tables or bar signs in the married world. The married world is just pillows. <laughs> just pillows on the couch, pillows on the bed, and you can't use them. They're just for show, just pillows everywhere. You want to invest in the future? Invest in pillows that are no fun. Jesus says when you, when you are generous to the things of God, you're anchoring your heart in the world and the hope to come. Third reason why you should be as generous as possible. Generosity protects you from a heartache and hope fail. Jesus focuses more on money and possessions in his teachings in the gospel uh, by percentage than anything else. That's not because Jesus wants to get into your wallet, not like Jesus is running some kind of Ponzi scheme. No, Jesus has a pastoral concern for all those who would come after him. He's trying to protect your heart from the inevitable. And here's the inevitable. All the treasures that you gather up at some point will be rudely taken from you. All of it. It'll either happen on the day that you die 
or something calamitous could happen long before that. But here's one thing that's for sure. All of your treasures will be rudely taken from you at some point. And if too much of your hope, too much of your heart is bound up into those treasures, when they're rudely taken from you, your heart and your hope and your peace go with it. And Jesus is trying to protect us from that. Which is why, again, he says, I'll read it a second time, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You who belong to Jesus are given the opportunity to avoid some of that inevitable pain by making sure that your heart is as anchored in things that won't fail you as possible. And when you are generous to the things of God, your heart is anchored in heaven and your heart is protected from being failed by the things of this world. Another reason why you should be as generous as you possibly can is because generosity gives God's grace to other people. When you choose to be generous, you, you get the privilege of being an agent of God's grace in the lives of other people. God chooses to put his resources in the hands of human beings and then use the hands of human beings to bring his grace and his goodness and his supply to everybody else. And when you choose to not work against that but to work with it, you have the opportunity to knowingly be a partner with God in blessing other people. People experience the grace of God all the time in ways in which they don't deserve. We experience the grace of God in, in, in a church we get to gather in. We experience the grace of God in food that's on our table. You can help give that church, give that food, give that gift to somebody else. And in doing so, you are an agent of God's grace to other people. This is part of what Paul is getting at in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. When he says these words, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. When you help someone pay a bill, pay, pay a bill, eat a meal, or go to church, you are not just being nice, you are doing an act of divine providence. Your, your righteousness, Paul says, your, your right relationship with God that you have through faith alone is meant to produce a harvest. God saved you so that he might do things through you. He's entrusted gifts to you so that he might utilize them through you to bring blessing to other people. He wants to produce a harvest through you. And then, as you are generous, and you're producing a harvest through your generosity among other people, partnering with God in his divine activity, what Paul says is that will produce thanksgiving to God in the hearts of other people. Now, now Paul says that not for us to take pride, not so that we would, might hear that and go, I'm working with God, I'm pretty great. He says that to us so that we might understand the privilege when you are generous, there are people who will give thanks to God, the maker of the universe, because of you. There are people who will give thanks to God because of you. 
What an incredible privilege that is. Uh, later this week, we're, we're going to gather around Thanksgiving tables. And, and we're going to eat turkey, and we're going to talk politics, and we're going to watch my Detroit Lions lose. The, the other thing many of us are going to do is we're going to sit at that table, and we're going to go around the table, and all the teenagers roll their eyes at this, but we're going to do it anyway. We're going to go around that table and ask everyone to share one thing they're thankful for in the year that's gone by. When you are generous in the way that God calls you to be generous, you get to play a part in the thanksgiving that people around that table will give. Will people be giving thanks for things that you've gave toward? Or things that you made possible? That they see as a gift straight from God? Later this week, we'll take part in thanksgiving, but God invites his followers to be thanksmakers. And what a privilege that is. Another reason why you should be as generous as possible with this one life that you have is that generosity invites God to surprise you. Quite often, people will say to me as they wrestle with their faith, Pastor Matt, I, I wish... I wish I could experience God in a more tangible way. I wish God would show up and make himself known in my life. And I understand that sentiment. There's a lot that could be said to that. But sometimes what I'll say in response to that is this. How often are you actually in a place where God needs to show up? Because here in, in the West, here in America, even in 2020, we have an ability to craft very self-sufficient lives where there is not much need for God. You don't even need to pray as Jesus taught you to pray, give me my daily bread, because you've got an app on your phone that gets you Jimmy John's. And yet what generosity does is it creates a space for God to show up. When you've given out of what you have to give to somebody else, and now there's a space created by what you gave to something or somebody else, that's a space where God is now invited to show up and surprise you at his ability to provide for you, his ability to keep you whole as a person who's doing his, his work of generosity. Again, Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says this, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. You may not know this, but, but, but here, here's how seed was sown in the ancient world. You walked the field, and you had a bag of seed at your side. And as you walked the tilled soil, you would put your hand into the bag of seed, and with your eyes forward on the field, you'd put your hand in the bag, grab some seed, and you'd toss it into the field. And as you walked forward, you'd reach in the bag, scatter seed. Reach in the bag, scatter seed. And what God is saying is this. He invites his people to be people who reach back for seed to scatter into the world with more intensity than most people do and into places where most people don't. Which means you're going to be more likely to run lower on seed than other people. And what he's saying is, watch and see how every time you reach back into that bag for something to scatter according to my will and in step with my ways, your hand will not be empty. But in order to experience that providence and that promise and that power, you've got to be willing to reach into the bag 
and lay hold of some seed and scatter it more often and into more places than other people do. Now, we don't give in order to get, but rather God does say this. If you give in the ways that, that I tell you to give, I will not let you go without for doing good. I won't. Let me surprise you in this. Now, with all that said, all those reasons why you should be as generous as possible with this one life that you have to live, I will recognize that this is, is not easy. If generosity were easy, more people will do it. I don't know if you've seen the data on this. Most people don't. Most people have kind of a random act of kindness here or there. They give a little bit here or there. Most people live in the category only of would giving. I would give if I had more, but surprise, they never seem to have more. This is not easy. And the reason it's not easy is because in order to be generous, it involves a breaking. I don't know if you've noticed this, but in order to give, you've got to break. What you'd like to keep whole, what you'd like to, to cherish, what you'd like to stay the same has to be broken in order to be shared. And to be a generous person in the way God calls us to be generous means that you're going to be breaking things, believing that it's going to turn out into something beautiful. And, and that's a profound act of faith that, that, that many people are simply not up for. I mean, think about how you share a cookie with a friend. In order to share a cookie with a friend, what do you got to do? You got to break it in order to share some with them. If you're going to share your plans with somebody else, you got to take your plans and break them and hand it to somebody else. If you're going to share a $100 bill with somebody, what do you got to do? You got to make change. You got to break that $100 bill so you can give 10, 20, 50 to somebody else. In order to bless somebody else, you got to break what you have. And we'd rather keep it whole. We'd rather hold on to it. We'd rather keep it the same and keep it safe. But in order to bless others, you got to break yours. In order to bless others, you got to break yours. But we do so in faith, believing that God will make the breaking worthwhile. And if you, if you don't believe me on that or you struggle to trust me on that, I, I have just two steps I would suggest that you take. Number one, and this is God's suggestion, not mine, that you test God in this. I mean, he explicitly says in the scriptures, if you don't trust me in generosity, test me and see if I fail you. His words, not mine. So just try it. See what happens. In my 17 years of ministry, I've had people come back to me and say, Matt, it was a stretch to be generous. It was hard to be generous. I've never once had somebody come back to me and say, I regret being generous. Try it. Test God. And then the second thing I would suggest is for you to lift your eyes to the cross of Jesus. And remember the faithfulness of God the Father to Jesus Christ and God's faithfulness to his sacrifice. Jesus opened his hand and, and let go of his life. And God the Father used that breaking, the breaking of his bones, the breaking of his flesh, the shedding of his blood, the breaking of his life into death. He used that terrible breaking to bring blessing to you. You are forgiven. I am forgiven. The world is saved through the broken body of Jesus Christ who was raised to life after the fact. 
You are blessed through that breaking. God the Father is able to take that breaking and turn it into blessing beyond comprehension for you and for me. And what he's saying is, you who now have faith in Jesus, who belong to Jesus, you have the same DNA running through your baptized bones. This is who we are. He broke in order to bless. We break in order to bless, believing, knowing that God brings beautiful things through the sharing and the breaking of his people. Look across and remember. What step of generosity could you take? Now, if you're here as a, uh, as a person who's not yet a follower of Jesus, uh, I'll tell you this, you're exempt from all this. You are not commanded in the scriptures to be generous if you're not a follower of Jesus. I think you should be generous. I think it's worthwhile, but you don't have to. The rest of us who are baptized followers of Jesus... This is something we must wrestle with. What step of generosity is there for you to take? Is there a gift you should be giving that you're not giving? Is there a gift you could give, an over and above gift beyond what you should, that you could give if you're willing to plan more and take from what you enjoy? Is there a gift that you would give if God were to entrust you with even more than what you have now? A dream gift, a blessing you would love to give to somebody else. Have you articulated that thing? Which of those speaks to you? And take that step. I'll close with this. There's a famous short story written by Leo Tolstoy, the famous Russian novelist in the 19th, 20th century. It's a short story about a, a rich young landowner who was not satisfied with all the land that he had. He wanted more. And someone came to him and made a deal with him. They said, if you pay me a thousand rubles, I'll give you more land. In fact, I'll give you all the land that you can walk in a single day. Pay me a thousand rubles, I'll give you everything you can walk in a single day. So the rich young landowner was like, deal. Paid the thousand rubles, next morning, sunrise, he was off to the races. He was running hard until about noon. He got tired, but he kept going, walking, 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 gaining more and more ground, quite literally, for himself. Then it became dusk. Sun was starting to set. And he realized, I'm a long way off from where I need to be. I gotta get back to where I started in order to claim all this ground. I gotta get back there by the time the sun actually fully sets. So he ran. He ran as hard as he could and as fast as he could all the way back to where he'd started so he could claim all this land that he'd walked. And as the sun set, he crossed the finish line. As he crossed the finish line, he stumbled. He was breathing heavily. He hit the ground. Tears flowing from his eyes, from exhaustion, blood flowing from his mouth. His servants ran over to celebrate with him, to pick him up. After all, he was now wealthier than he was before. When they got to him, they discovered that he was dead. The title of that short story is How Much Land Does a Man Need? Tolstoy answers that question in the end of the story itself, where the servants, finding their dead master, they grab shovels and they dig a hole, which Tolstoy says is six feet deep, three feet wide. 
That's how much land a man needs. He lost... Must be a good point I'm about to make. (laughs) He lost his life trying to get more. When all along really living is found in having less and giving. May you have your heart anchored more deeply in the hope of heaven. May you have a heart that's protected and a hope that won't fail. May you know the privilege of joining God and giving grace to others. And may you not only be saved by God, but experience what it's like to be surprised by him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your lavish generosity to us. We thank you for the generosity that pours from the cross into our life, covering over and forgiving every sin, every struggle, and guaranteeing for us a place in your eternal family. Father, we we, we pray that you would allow us to be so changed by your generosity towards us that we might be able to actually believe some of the things that you say. The words of Jesus come to mind. It is better to give than to receive. Help us to believe that. Help us to be the kind of people who understand that what makes a life is not its duration, but its donation. Giving all we should, all we could, and all we would to the things that actually matter. Amen.